Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about the Taiping Heavenly Kingdom. Thou hast rebuked the nations. Thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast blotted out their name forever and ever. So quoted a world leader at the end of the Second World War, one of the leaders of the Allied Powers. Alice, do you have any guesses as to who quoted that passage from the Bible? Churchill. It was <laughs> Chiang Kai-shek. <laughs> it was Chiang Kai-shek, the leader of the Republic, the Republic of, of China, China. Uh, and uh, subsequently Taiwan, of course. Yeah, given the well, Taiwan ROC, it's, some of our listeners have some ideas to the, the complications there, but perhaps some not. But we'll leave that aside. So, Chiang Kai-shek was a Christian. True. Uh, at least nominally so. <laughs> he only converted because he, his wife, Madame Chiang Kai-shek, uh, Song Neiling, the woman he wanted to marry, was American-educated and uh, uh, had gone to Wellesley College and had converted to Christianity during her years in America. And as precondition for their marriage, Chiang Kai-shek had to convert to Christianity. But he's not the only Chinese leader who was a Christian, right? He was not, and a number of others were. Sun Yat-sen, the I founding father of, him, yeah. of the Republic of China, was also a Christian. Uh, and and so I've wanted for some time to do an episode on Christianity in China. But it is a big subject. It's a big subject. It is a big subject. And as I thought about it, I realized that... Before we really get into it, we have to talk about when it comes to Christianity in China, the elephant in the room, as it were, the big thing that people always think about um, that is also fairly widely known outside of China. And that would be the Taiping Heavenly Kingdom, the Taiping Tianguo of the 1850s and 1860s. Uh, you probably have learned yeah. something about that in your history books. Yeah, it is It is one of the most uh, widely known um, episodes in Chinese history outside of China, one of, mm. one, one of the more widely known ones. I think we've covered some very obscure topics on this podcast. It was obscure for <laughs> quote-unquote outsiders. Um, but the Taiping Heavenly Kingdom is something that shows up in, uh, in, in Western yeah. texts all the time. And it is a... Most remarkable episode, really, for for many reasons. Um, so so let's let's talk about that first, and then and then we're gonna then we'll talk more about uh, Christianity more broadly in Chinese history and what it means and uh, what it means globally. Even but we'll, we'll we'll get to that. So. Now, I already mentioned the Second World War. Chiang Kai-shek was the leader of uh, China during the Second World War. The Taiping Heavenly Kingdom, the rebellion, the Taiping Rebellion, is in world history the third deadliest war of all time. Oh, really? Behind only the Second World War and the First World War. 
and it was a Chinese civil war. Oh, that's one of many. <laughs> isn't isn't that incredible?、Uh, something like thirty to fifty million people died from、mm. it. That's、uh, that's a lot in, in, in any time. And as you are aware, it was Christian inspired.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's back up and、um, talk about how it happened because it was the most most、uh, fascinating story. This the story of the Taiping is Taiping. By the way, of course, means great peace.、Uh, so Taiping Heavenly Kingdom, Taiping Tianguo.、Um, the story of Taiping is substantially a story of one man. Of course, it's not, but there's there's one central character, a guy named Hong Xiuquan, who was from the province of Guangdong, Canton, as they used to say. And、um, so, among his brothers. Uh, Hong Xiuquan was the only one who was literate, and、um, he had started attending Chinese schools, the traditional schools,、uh, from the age of seven. And his family had hoped that he would become a scholar and rise up in the world through the civil service exams, which, of course, is an, is an age-old Chinese tradition. Right? That was the way you got ahead in in the world was through the examinations. There were three levels of the civil service exams: the local, the provincial, and then finally national. the national, the imperial. Yeah, the, which was always held at Beijing.、Mm-hmm. So, the the local was held at the township level, village level, and at the provincial, you had to go into the provincial capital of whichever province you're from, and then right, the the, the imperial had to go to Beijing, go to the go to the palace. The、uh, and you had to take you have to. You have to do them in sequence, of course. You have to pass the local level before、mm-hmm. you can take the provincial. Then you have to take the provincial. You have to pass the provincial before you can take the national. So Hong Xiuquan, as a young man, had succeeded in passing the local level. That's like earning your bachelor's degree, I guess. So,、um, so which earned him the title of Xiuqai, which is the the the, the person who, one one who has passed one who had passed the local level exam was called a Xiuqai. So. Um, then he went on to try to、uh, pass the provincial exam, but he tried several times and he kept failing. In 1837, when he was 23 or 24, he went to Guangzhou, Canton, city,、mm-hmm. which was the provincial capital, and、um, to take the exam for the third time. He'd already failed twice. He, he, he so in 1837 he goes to take the third time, and he fails for the third time. Very, a very okay, disappointed okay. man, yeah, right? right? And he comes home to his to his home village, and he falls ill. He falls terribly ill.、Mm. One imagines, at least in part, because of the, the disappointment, yeah, the psychological yeah, impact, yeah. right, of failing again、mm. at the exams. So he falls very ill, and for a number of days he was unconscious. He had lost consciousness, and、um, when he woke up, he told people that in his dreams he saw an old man、mm-hmm. come to him, and the old man charged him with a mission—a mission to rid the world of demons. And friends and family reported that after that he was weird. 
he was he, he behaved strangely after that, and he rarely spoke, and and he was he was like a strange guy after that. In 1843, so six years later, he went back to Guangzhou again to try to take the provincial civil service exam for the fourth time, and he failed again <laughs> for the fourth time.、Um, but this was the timing was interesting here. 1843. So we've touched on on this podcast. Podcast we've touched on. The opium war, the first opium、mm. war, before we didn't we haven't done a deep dive. It, we'll, we'll do that sooner or later. Such a pivotal event in Chinese history, but the first opium war had、uh, begun in you know, 1839 and, and had ended around 1842, and so and its epicenter was Guangzhou, where、mm. Commissioner Imperial Commissioner Lin Lin Zexu had gone to、uh, confiscate all the opium from the British opium dealers and destroyed them. That was in Guangzhou. So, when in 1843, when Hong Xiuquan went into the the city to take his exams again, he would have seen the aftermath of the war, and it would have been a very strange time. He would have seen、uh, how、uh, Western imperial powers, particularly the British, were impacting China. <laughs> We can only sort of imagine that the scene he he would have he would have witnessed,、mm. and、um, in this time,、uh, while he was in Guangzhou, he came across and、uh, began to read Christian literature written in Chinese,、uh, produced by earlier、uh, Chinese converts, Chinese people who had converted to Christianity,、uh, and he decided after reading some of these. Pamphlets and books that the old man he saw in his dream six years earlier was none other than Jehovah, <laughs> than Je- Jehovah God the Father,、Whoa. not Jesus God the Father. Yeah, and then he further decided. This is what he became famous for in the West. He further decided that he was Jesus Christ's younger brother. Right,、yes. <laughs> the old man was his father, God, and he was God's other son,、mm-hmm. his Chinese son, and Jesus's younger brother. And at this point,、uh, Hong Xiuquan abandoned all the Confucian books that he had studied、uh, for the sakes of, of the civil service exams for、uh, all these years, and he began to worship the Christian God. And at this point, he had not read the Bible, and he really only had like a very perfunctory, and I think we can agree, strange, idiosyncratic, unusual、uh, understanding of the meaning of of the Christian religion. But that didn't stop him from going around、uh, proclaiming the Christian faith to anyone who would listen, telling everybody to convert to Christianity. In 1847, a few years later, he came into contact with an American, an American missionary, a Southern Baptist preacher from Tennessee, a man by the name of Issachar Roberts. And Hong Hong Zhouquan spent several months with Roberts, studying、uh, the Bible or or listening to Roberts、uh, preach. 
and he asked Roberts to baptize him. And Roberts refused, probably because he thought, "What are you talking about? You're the you're the younger brother of Jesus Christ," <laughs> or we're not sure why he refused. But um, he probably thought the guy was maybe didn't really understand what what the religion was about. Uh, maybe he just thought he was too weird. We don't know. But anyway, he refused to baptize him. Roberts refused to, to baptize him. And um, in the end, uh, Hong and uh, some of his friends and relatives that he had converted to his version of Christianity, they decide they they in the end baptized themselves, if that counts. Oh, so they baptized. So he baptized himself. Yeah, or each other. They like dunked each other in the water, I guess, and said, "Well, that'll do. If the American won't do it, this is you know, <laughs> we'll do it. Well, this is baptism with Chinese characteristics." <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and but over time, uh, Hong Xiuquan attracted more and more followers. The um, the the government of the Qing Dynasty. Uh, remember, this is this is during the Qing Dynasty. 1644 to 1911, the Qing Dynasty was aware, became aware, officials became aware of his uh, religious movement, and they grew, uh, they grew kind of concerned, but but not maybe not concerned enough to to do too much about it. Uh, concerned enough sometimes to arrest some of the members of his cult, sect, whatever they they, they deemed it. Um, and uh but with but with this growing conflict with government officials in 1850 Hong Xiuquan decided he may as well rebel against the government and so he gathered his followers and he launched a rebellion so how many followers did he have at the time uh i'm not sure exactly how many he had at this time it would have been in the thousands tens of thousands i think i saw one count perhaps 50,000 at this time, um, but he he basically sort of told them to all go. Let's all meet up at this other place mm. far away from government prying eyes, and then they all and everyone did as they were told, and they gathered up. And he's like, "All right, we're launching a rebellion to overthrow the Qing Dynasty." And I was like, "Oh, okay, you know, because God told me to do it, and God and my and my older brother Jesus told me that's that's what we should do." So, so they were like, oh, "Okay, well, we'll do that then." Now, uh, well, let's not do a blow by blow of the war because um, it, it it went on for fourteen years, and um, and uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of back and forth, a lot of blood. Uh, long time listeners, huh? Long time listeners of this podcast, I think, uh, have gathered by now that Chinese history is drenched in blood. Yes, rivers of blood. Uh, like I said, the, the the war, the Taiping War, was the third greatest war by body count in all of human history. Mm. We're talking about between 30 and 50 million dead. Only in China. It's a civil war. It's a domestic rebellion. Uh, so, so we don't need to do the blow by blow, battle after battle. Let's just note a few key events. So in 1853, this is, this is a very important moment. Hong Xiuquan and his uh, his people, his Taiping Heavenly Kingdom, took over the city of Nanjing. 
which as you know is one of the most one of the important mm-hmm. cities right in fact nanjing jing means capital mm-hmm. so nanjing mm-hmm. southern capital right mm-hmm. nanjing this the city has um, at different times functioned as the capital of china during the song dynasty it was it was capital for, for a bit um it was a capital of the republic of china for a bit under mm-hmm. chiang kai-shek right so he's one of the important cities so hong xiuquan took over the city and he designated nanjing the capital of the heavenly kingdom. They call it the, Tian, the Tianjin so heavenly really capital. So they managed to get the city, right? They took over, yeah. So, so at its apogee, at its, at, its, at its high point, the Taiping heavenly kingdom controlled a large part of central southeastern China. Mm. Um, in fact, some of the most economically productive areas it, it was. It was not. It was not uh, more than half the country. Not, not. Not nearly that much. China is that big, but you know, it would have been uh, a, a very respectable, a very respectable sized European kingdom. Let's say France. <laughs> yeah, I think he controlled an area definitely larger than France, and um, and uh, so so right. So the war then uh, went on and on. Until 1864, actually, actually, even after that, the last army still flying the Taiping colors was not destroyed until 1872. That's 22 years after he launched his rebellion. But usually we say the, the Taiping Heavenly Kingdom ended in 1864 because that was when the, uh, the famous Qing minister and general Zheng Guofan mm. sacked Nanjing, mm. the, the, the capital, their capital. Um, now, Zheng Guofan was, is, that's a very famous name in China. He was one of the four great ministers of the late Qing era. And in Chinese history books, he usually come across quite well. He's usually remembered in a positive light, and and who uh, who very much admired him, Chiang Kai Shek. Mm. Hmm. But when Zheng Guofan and his brother led their army into Nanjing, they unleashed a terrible slaughter that killed hundreds of thousands of people. They basically told their soldiers, go nuts. They allowed them to go nuts, basically kill whoever you kill, in, kill as many mm. people as you want. I don't care. You, you, you know about the uh, rape of Nanjing in, in the Second World War, the so-called rape of Nanjing, the, 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 the massacre the of Nanjing by the Japanese yeah. in 1938. 1938, yeah. Right. That was actually not as bad as, as what the, Zhang Guofan did, did in, in Nanjing. Mm. in uh, 1864. Um, in fact, they say that before uh, before they sacked the city, Nanjing had over a million people, a million residents. And by 1875, so that's 11 years after, Nanjing had only barely half a million. Oh. So that, that's, that's the extent of the slaughter by, mm. the, by the Chinese themselves. So, all right. So that's that's um, so that's 
that's the uh, a brief history of the Taiping Heavenly Kingdom. Um, I think what I'll do here is I'll I'll pause here and um, end this episode for now, and we're gonna we're gonna do a, a, another episode. Uh, the next episode immediately after this, we're going to think more deeply about what the Taiping Heavenly Kingdom meant and um, Christianity in China more yeah. generally. Okay. All right. This has been MODG. Thank you for listening.